welcome to the Live Oak Novel Review, Episode 6. I'm author Matthew Glasgow. In this episode, we conclude Chapter 2. We continue to be in Kadim's mind, and we see his focus on always considering the why of every situation and trying to discover the truth. We have an extended conversation he has with his grandpa that starts with Kadim wanting a pair of expensive sneakers and his grandpa expounding the great significance of becoming passive as a consumer um, and these people who are exploited and held in place without fully realizing it or caring. Kadim later reflects on discovering that his mother is addicted to alcohol and drugs. And oddly, not too upset with it, and actually at peace, because it represented truth and helped for things to make sense in his life. The idea of discovering truth then reflects to America's history and an explanation of why things are currently the way they are. Kadim, for his age, I saw as very wise and mature. My intention was to illustrate uh, this through specific lessons he learned from his grandparents, and to the present, where he finally sees his teacher, Mrs. Messer, as a solid adult with enough confidence and respect in the value of learning that she does not try to dress it up uh, or appeal to the lowest common denominator in the class. Kadim finally feels like education is what it's supposed to be. Not this flashy experience, but hard work and challenge to make a person stronger. So the chapter bookends with Kadim first feeling alienated uh, that he will be experiencing the same thing as she mispronounced his name, to him gaining respect for her because she did not try to appear cool or appease him immediately, but moved on to the seriousness of school, concluding with Kadim in a state of euphoria and politely correcting Mrs. Messer on how his name should be said. Inspiration. My hope in this chapter um, and how it concludes uh, is that we have a good understanding of Kadim, his history, and how that fuels his current motivations. As in chapter one, I found myself consistently writing with a sense of irony, as in not doing what is expected, even for myself. When depicting someone like Kadim, who has certainly had some negative experiences in school. I could have gone the expected route of Kadim being treated unfairly by teachers based on his race or this general apathy in the school with the assumption that it's a city public school. However, I thought it more uh, compelling to depict Kadim as a disciplined, self-motivated learner who feels alienation because his teachers are well-intentioned, enthusiastic, but they are primarily catering to his peers who are unmotivated, and they're neglecting to present intellectual challenge in the classroom. They present material they feel will be relevant and engaging, like the Tupac uh, poem, over something of more substance and challenge. They are more concerned with being the student's friend than providing the need for uh, being an authority figure, one that holds high expectations for students behaviorally and academically. 
Although the intention is good for these teachers in a sense, uh, Kadim sees it as uh, them denying him the traits for success he needs moving forward. They are not stimulating his mind, only catering to the squeaky wheels and not preparing him to behave consistently. In a sense, I believe the frustration is amplified on the personal level of the character Kadim, but on the macro level with his continued feeling of being prevented mobility, of being stuck. Craft and Structure When I consider conflict in my narrative, and especially as I present elements from the character's psychology, immobility is a major element I often return to. In a basic sense, the Isaac character in Chapter 1 and the Kadim character in Chapter 2 are very similar and find themselves in similar situations. A character versus society conflict, illustrating that essentially not much has changed over the tremendous passage of time. Isaac sees his captors as deceitfully smiling while they keep him in place, and Kadim sees it in a sense with the teachers of his past, and optimistic because Mrs. Messer appears different. This also comes from his grandparents' perspective as well. His grandmother is much more empathetic and, as a social worker, trying to elevate people in tough situations through kindness and resources, whereas Grandpa is more disgusted that these people appear so apathetic or willing to perpetuate racial stereotypes. It is more shouting at the moon, characters understanding the ruse taking place, or trying to elevate their peers, and nothing happening. Nonetheless, these characters are indomitable, and keep moving forward, doing the right thing and hoping they can change their stations in life. For Kadim, it is education, and as the chapter concludes, he finally feels he has a teacher to give him one. She, his grandmother, was a smart person who was always studying books and talking about these complicated ideas. Grandmom always sought the reason why and wanted Kadim to do the same. It was never, that person is a bum, or that person is just no good, or that person is a bad guy. It was about asking how that person ended up like that. You had to work on seeing yourself in other people and not just seeing everything as separate. She said there were moments when it was hard for her not to be angry with his mother and just dismissing her entirely. But then she would think about the pain his mother experienced, which she said he was too young to learn about. And she had to be at peace with the why and actively try to find a solution. His grandmother was a social worker and she said it would be hypocritical to give up on her daughter. She didn't give up on strangers, even ones who had seemed so irreversibly damaged and caught in this endless cycle that her head would literally spin trying to help them break free of. It certainly was not easy for Kadim to adjust to his grandmother's resilience and will. His mother never set hard lines or forced him to do anything, not even going to school. And here was this woman forcing him to go to school each day, eat food he didn't like, wash the dishes, study, and go to bed by 8 p.m. He hated it and her and wanted to live with his mom. She said if she had her druthers, whatever they were, he would live with her too, but that's not the way things worked out. His mother was not well and needed to fix herself before he could be back with her. He didn't understand any of this and wished adults would just say the truth and stop saying he'll be told when he's older. She and other adults would say he was so smart, so why couldn't they tell him anything, especially about his mother? When kids would talk about their parents, he would say his mother works a lot. 
When they asked what she did, he remembered she would work nights, and the only night profession he could think of was a cop, so he would say that. They were always impressed by that and asked if she ever shot anyone, and he said tons. They talked about all of the cop movies and shows they watched and how they all wanted to grow up and arrest bad guys. There were a lot of bad guys in their neighborhood. When they asked about the job his dad had, he said he was a delivery driver, which was what his grandfather did. He didn't know his father, so he just substituted one for the other. Of course, his grandmother would never say anything about his father, but when he tried asking his grandfather, he speculated that they, his mother and father, were probably together doing God knows what. That made Kadim angry. Why couldn't he do God knows what with them? His grandfather was certainly a proponent of eliminating present bias, as the crux of his job required making precise deliveries and maintaining a schedule for the day. He was different than his grandmother, as he, and he held contempt for those people in the neighborhood who would just be hanging around. He called them lazy and an embarrassment and said they made him feel ashamed when he had no right to be. He was ashamed because he worked hard every day and they did not. They just hung on the block and drank and smoked. And since his grandfather lived in the same neighborhood, people assumed he was just like them. They thought they were being slick and got off on doing things a little underhanded and cheating the system, but they were just products of it they didn't even know. They weren't proving a damn thing by not working or going to school. They were just proving people right. They were proving the teacher who threw his hands up and said, I give up, right. They were proving the cops right when they broke the law. They were proving the boss who hesitated to hire them because they probably wouldn't work hard or be reliable, right. It wasn't bravery, it was cowardice to his grandpa. Afraid to actually do something or be something. Kadim figured his mother fit somewhere among these people and he'd see her in the tub once more. Grandpa would go further into rants about these people and various systems of oppression and the country's ugly history but Kadeem's eyes would just glaze over and he'd start to think of something else, like the pretty girl with the pigtails that sat behind him in class, or what position he'd like to play in football next fall, or who the Sixers could get to play with Allen Iverson, or would they just trade him too? People would say he was lazy or had a bad attitude, those people his grandfather listened to on the radio, but other people admired how hard he would work for being such a little guy and how he was something called blue collar and represented the city in some way. Anyway, a bunch of kids at school had his sneakers, Jordans too, and they used to make fun of him for having some no-name shoes. He would beg his grandfather to buy him the name brand sneakers, but they would just start his grandfather back up on how expensive clothes and shoes were. Again, examples of these people thought they were cheating the system, just getting swallowed up further by it. They spent way too much for something that was extremely cheap to make, just become some athlete or celebrity wore the product. And all these rich people just got richer and they could pay the sweatshop labor less and less and away from American soil, all for some gaudy shirt or sneaker that the buyer somehow thought made them special or feel rich when they were only getting deeper into poverty on something they really didn't need. Kadeem would try to plead with him about how kids teased him and how the sneakers would make him a better athlete, but grandpa would have none of it. His grandfather would just shake his head and say, it's cause they ain't got shit. His grandfather rarely cussed. So when he did, Kadeem knew it meant something. You wear the fancy clothes and talk trash because you know you got nothing else. Their folks don't work hard and haven't acquired a skill, haven't got no art. Not art as in painting or singing, but in just being the master of something. Hell, plumbing or driving a truck or cutting hair, just something. The system's got it so twisted that you don't even wanna be the master of something. You just blindly take the shortcut and buy the product and fit in. That's how it's always been. They don't want you to be good at something or have genuine confidence. They just want you to be stuck on cannon fodder. The system wouldn't work otherwise unless you were kept in place and they could throw you in some pointless war. 
And in a twisted way, people actually embrace the mucky, forgettable life they're in. People glad to be in the ghetto, like it's a point of pride or makes them tough. You're only tough if you want to and do get out. And you master that art, which is never easy. Those kids who pick on you, you will never leave here. They wouldn't even try. Sneakers don't make you a better athlete, but if it sets you at ease, I'll at least buy you a new sneaker that's better on its own and not because someone's name is on it. Sports are good and they teach you to be competitive and get along with others. So I'll get you something better than those Bobos, but not no $200 shoe. Kadeem agreed, though he did make a few efforts to persuade his grandmother, who was a little easier to crack because she liked her pretty clothes and did think some of the sneakers were sharp, but she ultimately was unmoved. That was his grandparents' whole essence, not to budge to resist and teach him to resist too, to keep a steady self-discipline, which was probably why he had the burst of studying to get back into the regular size classroom in his early grades and maintained an AB average from second to sixth grade. They also gave him this critical metacognitive understanding of his learning here in seventh grade, as in analyzing what seemed effective and ineffective in the classroom, and now sizing up Mrs. Messer's mannerisms and how she appeared to conduct the class for the rest of the year. She mispronounced his name, but didn't think if she said it right or not. In anything, she was different so far. Mrs. Messer went over the policies and procedures that first day in a very rigid, monotone voice, scrolling through a PowerPoint presentation with the lights off, unfazed by students falling asleep as she spoke, delivering a hip check to the sleeping student's desk, which aroused the student and made a few others chuckle. Yet she just continued talking about her policy on late work and her expectations for respect in the classroom. Students would moan or roll their heads to this boring presentation and would likely say how much the class was going to suck once they were in the hallway. But Kadeem was perfectly fine with this boredom. Mrs. Messer did not care about dazzling the audience, refraining from doing something silly like putting a cartoon on her PowerPoint slide or trying to crack some lame joke, nor did she have some awkward icebreaker to show she wanted to make friends with the kids. Those often freaked him out as they often required a level of self-reflection and revelation like, how would you describe yourself? or what are two truths and a lie about you? Or what is something interesting that you know that most people don't? He talked more when he was younger, but he still considered himself a quiet kid and feared more than anything to say something awkward or wrong. No, she just jumped right into the curriculum and laid out the year, nothing fancy, if not aware of the staid nature of the presentation and being comfortable with it. That utter seriousness he saw as confidence in the importance of what was to be learned in the classroom during the year. There was no need for some magic trick or ruse. Reading, writing, math, science, history, and the arts were important. They were vital elements to life that required no further entertainment. There were tremendous moments of discovery in learning a new fact or skill and applying it effectively, like finally getting to those moments when a teacher would say, you'll learn that when you're older. This was fun in itself. There didn't need to be some joking way to present it. He immediately loved Mrs. Messer for straying from the cool teacher formula and cutting out all of the song and dance. In that, she was like his grandparents, whom he still lived with. His mother would pop in and out of his life as he grew older. He realized that she struggled with alcohol and drugs. Adults had tried to shield him from this for years, but when he finally discovered an empty whiskey bottle in her purse during one of her visits when he was 10 years old, it all finally made sense. Some would assume that discovering your mother as an alcoholic would be devastating life ruining, but Kadeem actually felt a sense of relief. People had danced around it for years, like teachers danced around the monotonous or controversial elements of a subject. And it felt gratifying to have some clarity, to have a truth. They probably shielded the truth because people felt the truth was scary and hurtful, 
But for Kadim, it was liberating. He finally had his why. Why his mother always slept. Why they were split up. Why she was never there. Was it really that hard to tell someone what's what? Would the teacher instructing about the atrocities of Columbus or the history of slavery shatter his whole perception of America and make him hate it? No, he just knew more about it. He knew why there was this animosity between races, why black people blamed their problems on white folks, why white folks drove through the neighborhood and locked their car doors and desperately needed control over everything, why white folks seemed afraid but said bad stuff when they were gone, and why the country fought itself over freeing black folks and Martin Luther King was killed. They knew they did a wrong a long time ago, but they got kind of stuck and wanted to free people, but they were afraid of what the enslaved people would do. So they just kept them enslaved and stripped away their humanity because it made them feel less guilty about it and said they were more animal than human and then made sure they couldn't be educated and were pacified and got used to not having freedom. Meanwhile, they, the whites, got more and more power and then enough people spoke up and said the truth and then they set the slaves free and they were scared of what these free people would do next. So they still kept them in certain separate spots and made it hard for them to earn good wages or get a good education. So they could say, you see, they're free and they're still no better off or closer to being human like us. And that became their truth and they just kept passing it on and on. Yet they, the black folks, continued to bust their backs and wanted what the others had. But the whites wouldn't let them by developing even more sophisticated schemes. And then they were stuck and, and poor while the others kept getting richer while simultaneously being disgusted that the others were poor and committed crimes. And then they became terrified and nothing truly changed. And they presented themselves as heroes in the textbooks until people wanted to tell the actual truth. And then they got mad about that too and wanted to go back to their vague myths that made you stand up and pledge to each morning. And they said all the good things were being taken away by the moment things started to get slightly more fair. So his mother had her addiction and he would have to stay with his grandparents for the foreseeable future until she got better. That was fine, if not good in a way. As he progressed through school, he realized those same kids who talked about how great their mom or dad was were actually living with their grandma or granddad too. Some were candid and said mom or dad was on the streets or left them or much too young when they had them. They made him feel more normal. And again, he was soothed to be receiving more truth. When he thought about it, yes, his mother must've been relatively young. Not old like a mom on TV, like he had assumed when they lived together. His cousin Bianca was a teenager and she had just become pregnant. And as he thought about it, his mom must have been relatively the same age. This made him feel optimistic that she wasn't an old lady who would die an alcoholic like Chicky a few blocks down when they found her dead on her stoop. No, she was young and had the chance to beat it and to change. It was good knowing the truth because he knew it was a problem that could be solved. It wasn't just that she was a bad mom, it was that she had this problem. So from 10 years old on, he would study her closely when she visited to see if she was intoxicated and try to ask her questions about her drinking, which she first became furious at and then sobbed and expressed how horrible of a person she was. And then in future inquiries would just quietly say, I'm doing my best, but it's hard. That was like what his grandfather had always said about people being lazy and not accepting the difficulty in art in being good. It was like his grandmother talking about her present bias and the lack of will his mother seemingly had and just not giving that drink when she felt bad to make her feel good in the moment, but ultimately worse the next day. That's why he liked Mrs. Messer. She embraced what was the truth, what was real. That although learning can be exciting, especially in a discovery, most of the time it was hard and boring and you needed to be disciplined in that moment in order to master the art and be a better person the next day. He felt suddenly euphoric feeling that this year would be different than years past. 
a year focused on serious learning and not playing dress up. The noble pursuit of knowledge and truth. So as the bell rang for lunch, he did something he thought he would never do. He went up to her desk and said, ma'am, I just want to let you know that my name is pronounced Kadeem and I'm looking forward to your class this year. Thank you very much for listening and your continued support. Please join us next time as we begin chapter three of Live Oak. Like always, please follow on Instagram for updates at Matthew Glasgow author and visit Amazon for reading options. See you soon.